Although we might not necessarily love our jobs, we can at least feel confident in the knowledge that while we are working at said job, our employer will keep us safe. This sounds reasonable, doesn't it? If our work is creating a hazard to our health or is likely to cause us injury, our employer is required by law to fix this. Labor laws exist to ensure that our work doesn't negatively impact our health or well-being. For example, we're not meant to work more than a certain number of hours per week. The age that an individual can start work is regulated because we decided that child labor is bad. I realize these are sweeping statements and that there are exceptions in some cases. I also know there's plenty of bad actors who violate these laws, but this isn't an episode about the strength of US labor laws, so I'm not going to delve into it further here. But what about when it's a fellow employee who is creating this unsafe work environment? You report them to your manager, and they'll be dealt with accordingly. At least, this is what should happen. Far too often, however, employees are failed by their employers not taking the necessary steps to keep them safe from predatory co-workers. I'm your host, Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 24. The Murder of Riley Whitelaw Riley Whitelaw was 17 years old and worked at Walgreens in Colorado Springs, Colorado. When a co-worker began harassing her at work, Riley did the right thing and reported him to the store manager. Once she made the complaint, Riley had done her part, and Walgreens had an obligation to take action. Tragically, they failed to do so, and it cost Riley her life. Riley was born January 20th, 2005, in Colorado Springs. There isn't much information available about her early life, but at the time of her death, she lived with her mother, Courtney Whitelaw, and her mother's partner, Chris Johnson. She attended Air Academy High School in Colorado Springs. Her obituary, which I'll link in the show notes, paints a picture of a kind-hearted, gentle, and compassionate young woman who was and continues to be so loved by her family and friends. Riley's passions were drawing, painting, and playing the guitar. She achieved straight A's in school. She was also a member of the Air Academy High School Color Guard, worked part-time, and had just started volunteering with the Humane Society. She would have just started her senior year in high school this month. She was hoping to go to college to study genetics. Much of the following information was detailed in the arrest affidavit obtained by Colorado Springs CBS affiliate, KKTV News. In the summer of 2021, Riley, who was 16 at the time, complained to her manager at Walgreens that her co-worker, 28-year-old Joshua Johnson, was making advances towards her and she felt uncomfortable working with him. Johnson was told by the store manager, Justin Zanino, to keep things professional, which I thought was a kind of pathetic response to a 16-year-old girl saying that her 28-year-old co-worker is harassing her. According to Zanino, Johnson seemed receptive to the warning. In March 2022, Riley's boyfriend began working at the same Walgreens. According to another store manager, Crystal Ishmael, this made Johnson jealous. Several weeks before her murder, Riley requested a change in her work hours to avoid working with Johnson. 
Just to be clear, this was the second time she complained about him. I believe her request for a change to her hours was granted. However, when she asked to work extra hours, she was told that in order to do so, she would cross paths with Johnson. Wanting to save money over the summer, Riley agreed. She probably didn't want to push the issue further, out of fear of getting on her boss's nerves. Maybe she told herself she was overreacting. I'm sure fellow overthinkers, like myself, know this feeling all too well. I want to emphasize that it was Walgreens that was in the wrong here. They never should have put her in that position. At 6.55pm on June 11th, 2022, the Colorado Springs Police Department received a call from Justin Zanino at 6820 Centennial Boulevard, where the Walgreens is located. He told the dispatcher that he had found a body in the store break room and that there was, quote, blood everywhere. At 7.02pm, police arrived at the store, where they found Riley in the break room. Blood had gathered around her body and was splattered on the counters and cabinets. There was significant trauma to her neck. She was pronounced dead at the scene. During an interview with investigators, Zanino said that he was contacted by Crystal Ishmael at around 5.30pm. She told him that Riley had not returned from her break. Zanino was not at the store at the time, but returned around 6 and viewed the store surveillance footage. On the footage, he saw Joshua Johnson stacking up boxes in the break room, blocking the camera's view. When Zanino went looking for Riley, he noticed that someone had taped paper over the break room windows. A 16-year-old girl, who had been at the Walgreens late in the afternoon on June 11th, came forward to the police when she realized what had happened. At around 5.45, she'd been standing in the deodorant aisle when she heard what sounded like a woman screaming and, quote, stall doors slamming. At the time, she convinced herself she was just imagining it. She paid for her items and left. While she was looking for Riley, Crystal said that she went out to the dumpster area. According to the affidavit, she tried to open the door. However, when she heard a male voice shout out that he was changing, she stopped trying to get in and walked away. She told Zanino about the man out by the dumpsters, but when Zanino went to look, there was no one there. Crystal and Zanino's descriptions of their actions kind of confused me. I don't really understand why Crystal had to call Zanino to tell him that Riley was missing. If she was on her break, surely it would make sense for Crystal just to go straight to the break room and look for her. I also don't get why when Zanino got back to the store, he immediately went to look at the surveillance footage. Again, wouldn't the most logical move be to go straight to the break room and look there? I also can't explain why so much time passed between Zanino looking at the footage and calling the police. In the affidavit, it says he began watching the surveillance footage when he got back to the store at 6pm. After that, he went to check the break room where he found Riley. Then he called the police, but not until 6.55. How long was he sitting watching the surveillance footage? The following day, Joshua Johnson was found by state troopers as he walked along Interstate 25 near Walsenburg, 92 miles south of Colorado Springs. 
They noticed he had scratches on his face and hands, which can be seen in his booking photo. He told them that he had been attacked at a Walgreens in Colorado Springs. I assume that law enforcement across the state would have known about the murder and been on the lookout for Johnson, although I didn't see this specifically stated anywhere. The state troopers arrested him and brought him back to Colorado Springs, where he was taken to the El Paso County Jail and held on suspicion of first-degree murder. During his first interview with detectives, Johnson admitted to being in the Walgreens break room on the evening of June 11th. According to the affidavit, he said that he, quote, fell in the blood and went home right after that happened so he could change his clothes. He denied stacking the boxes in front of the camera, even though he could be seen on the video doing so. He said that he was the one that shouted out to Crystal that he was changing when she was out by the dumpster. He told investigators that he had had a crush on Riley, but this was no longer the case, because he was now involved with Crystal. However, Crystal did not mention anything about being in a relationship with Johnson during her interview. Soon after his arrest, Johnson was charged with first-degree murder. If convicted, he faces a life sentence in prison. Colorado abolished the death penalty in 2020, becoming the 22nd state to do so. However, the last time the state executed someone was 1994. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Riley's autopsy report was released on August 24, 2022. The report, which is 18 pages long, details a frenzied and barbaric attack. Riley suffered 42 stab wounds to her face, neck, and chest, as well as defensive injuries to her hands and arms. The stab wounds to her neck were what ultimately caused her death. Ian Kalmanowitz, a labor attorney based in Colorado Springs, spoke to KRDO News about how he believed that Walgreens did not take sufficient action to protect Riley from Johnson. Riley did everything right, and the company did not. A young woman like Riley, who's at work with someone who's creeping her out, was making unwanted advances. If her employer doesn't know about it, the employer can't do anything about it. So she has an obligation under the law to report that. But once she does that, it's her employer's job, it's their requirement to keep her safe, said Kalmanowitz. Kalmanowitz suggested that the company could have transferred Johnson to a different store in the area. This does sound as though it would have been relatively straightforward. If you look up Colorado Springs Walgreens, there is definitely no shortage of store locations. Kalmanowitz also highlighted Riley's age as a factor, which should have further motivated her managers to take action to protect her. This is a situation where she's a high school student working with a bunch of adults, he said. I think there's an added responsibility to ensure that the more vulnerable populations in the workforce are protected. Bradley Sherman, another Colorado Springs labor attorney, also weighed in. 
Employees who are subject to these complaints are often not immediately fired because there is no obligation for an employer to do so, Sherman explained. This is true even if the victim is a minor. Sherman continued, I'm not aware of anything expressed in the law that takes that into account. However, the employer is expected to act reasonably. I do believe there's a good argument that what is reasonable for protecting a minor should go above and beyond what is considered reasonable for protecting an adult. Kalmanowitz acknowledged the reality that harassment in the workplace is all too common. He encourages victims to keep advocating for themselves, even if their complaints are initially ignored. Employees should take their reports to higher levels of management until they find someone who will ensure their complaints will be taken seriously. As a last resort, he explained that the Colorado Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission both exist to investigate employment discrimination complaints. Walgreens' failure to protect Riley isn't the only story here. The other issue is that a fully grown adult man was so incensed at being rejected by a teenage girl that he killed her. Women are murdered every day because these small, pathetic men can't handle their bruised egos. Joshua Johnson's ego will heal, but Riley is gone forever. If men could stop harassing, and in the most extreme cases like this one, killing women for the crime of not being interested in them, that would be ideal. But with the rising number of misogynist social media influencers and the growth of toxic online subcultures like the incel movement, I can hardly say that I see incidences of harassment and violence becoming less frequent. For this reason, women and girls need all the support and protection they can get, especially in the workplace. That means taking action when they report feeling unsafe, not waiting until something happens, because too often that something is a violent assault that leaves victims seriously hurt or dead. The Walgreens store where Riley was murdered remains closed. So far, no legal action has been taken against the managers of the store for failing to implement measures to protect Riley from Johnson. However, since this is such a recent case, the possibility of such actions being taken can't be ruled out. Joshua Johnson's preliminary hearing took place on Friday, September 16th to determine whether there's enough evidence to go to trial. Detectives working the case testified to the evidence they've uncovered so far. There was some new information revealed at the hearing. One detective testified that they searched Johnson's locker and found an empty sheath for the multi-tool they believe was used to kill Riley. The multi-tool itself had been discovered on the floor of the break room at the scene of the murder. The knife extension was sticking out and covered in blood. Also in the locker was a note Johnson had written with Riley and her boyfriend's addresses, social security numbers, phone numbers, and locker combinations. They reviewed the video from Johnson's home after the murder that showed him in a quote, hurried state. In the footage, he was wearing a hoodie that mostly covered his face. The lead detective on the case was asked about Johnson's first interview after he was brought in by the state troopers. They immediately noticed the scratches on his face. It also looked like he had cut his own hair and had done a terrible job, according to the detective. He did not give an explanation for why he cut his hair. 
Johnson told them that he went into the break room when he heard Riley screaming. It was then that he was attacked by somebody, but he couldn't see who it was because the room was dark. All he could say about the attacker was that he was a quote, mysterious man with blue eyes with a gray tint. When he was asked why he didn't call the police about the mysterious attacker, he said that he was scared and that the man knew his address. He said that as he ran out of the room, he slipped in the blood. I was a little confused as we were told that Johnson was changing by the dumpsters, but also that he went home to change. I believe he actually ran outside to the dumpster after stabbing Riley and hid there. When he could get away without being seen, he fled from the store and drove home. While he was at home, he changed his clothes. He then got back in the car and began driving south. He eventually ditched the car and began walking. The authorities found his car, which had obviously been cleared out in a hurry. The floor mats were missing, but he had left bloody tissues, bandages, and disposable razors inside. The evidence they've collected has led detectives to conclude that Johnson is the only person who could be responsible for Riley's murder. On Wednesday, September 21st, a judge announced that the evidence against Johnson is sufficient for the case to go to trial. His arraignment is scheduled for November 15th. The judge also denied bail. On June 23, 2022, a funeral service was held for Riley at Woodman Valley Chapel in Colorado Springs. A GoFundMe has been set up to support Courtney and to raise funds which will go towards a scholarship in Riley's name. You can find the page in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to donate. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Since this is such a recent case, I'll be adding updates to my Instagram as they come. If you like the show, please give me a 5-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram to see photos from each case. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. Until next time, 